what an amazing day uh, to hear those testimonies. And I want to ask you a question. It's not in my notes. It's, uh, it's a test. It's a quiz to see if you were paying attention. Uh, how does God bring pe- people to faith in his son? How did, when you heard the testimonies, how does he do it? He uses friends. He uses friends, grandparents. Great to see you guys here. Uh, he uses the church. He uses youth group. He uses vacation Bible school. If you want to be a part of something great, vacation Bible school is coming. I think that it's important to remember that it's not just a pastor preaching. Hopefully it is a pastor preaching. But... Um, how he works. He works in all kinds of different things and people, and he uses people uh, who are willing to be used. I I remember in uh, junior high, when I was in junior high, um, we had metal shop back when school was cool. And uh, I made some things in metal shop, and you're supposed to put your name on them, and you took this little engraving set where you had these single letters that were on, you know, and you took it to your project. My projects didn't look that good. But you took it and you, you put it on there with the letters of your name and then you hit it. You hit it. And a lot of times uh, when you hit it, you didn't hit it square. And so it didn't make a real good imprint. You know what you did then? You hit it again. <laughs> I'm not saying about your kids. But this idea that with our, our young people, with the gospel, that we're just wanting to do this. This is, this is the message. This is the message. Somebody else might have imprinted the first one, but let, let's go back and imprint this again. This is the most important thing. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you, parents, friends, grandparents. I love that it's a grandparent. I got to up my game now that I have a grandson. And uh, what, a, what a blessing of a day. Um, The work of Jesus, we're going to celebrate that in communion here in a few moments, so I'm going to try not to go too long, but uh, what a great day. The work of Jesus, the work of Jesus, uh, the work of Jesus, this is all uh, what we're doing here today, and I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Some of you saw me come in late, and um, I got to go uh, to a church in town that was also having baptisms today, and a friend of mine from Little League uh, him and his son were getting baptized, and I got to hear their testimonies, and so it's a full day, and I haven't even done anything yet, so uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Um, this section of scripture is like falling off a log uh, for a pastor. I almost just want you to read this scripture five times, think about it, and then go home, uh, because I think it's so beautiful Uh, what God has done for us uh, because of Jesus. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you uh, chapter five, uh, verses uh, one through 11, and uh, chapter five, verses one through 11, and we will be looking at today verses six through 11, so we're looking at review of the first five verses. God's word says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing uh, that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not uh, put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Uh, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore uh, we have been made justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and more, much more, uh, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And God, do your work in us now, we pray that your word, uh, it, which is alive, uh, would cause our dull minds to come alive uh, to the cost of the gospel, the riches, the treasure that you've poured out uh, on us. God, thank you for each one here. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be their day through the testimony of baptism, through the power of your word and the picture of communion. Uh, may they be drawn to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you are just visiting, we'd love to have you come back. We have a seat for you. Um, If you get here early, it'll be like a chair, too. We're working on it. Uh, If you've been with us here in our study, we have uh, gone over, we've been marching through the book of Romans. And if you haven't read the book of Romans, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, It starts out with the mess that we are, the mess. And when I say mess, I'm talking about sinners. And when I say sinners, uh, I'm sharing with you, well, God's sharing with you that you're an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. And this includes, in chapter three, it says there's none righteous No, not one. It also says there's no one good. There's no one good. As we look at that, we we say, wow, that's a pretty discouraging message. And it also goes on to talk about righteousness and and this idea that you have to be righteous to be in relationship with God, which is bad too because we're not good. We're, We're not righteous, and so we have to be righteous, and so there something needs to happen, something that we can't do. And then last week and the week before, we really looked at the gift of the peace of God, that you are granted that in Jesus, that that you can have peace with God, not because of what you've done, what you've done has separated yourself from God, but what God has done on your behalf in Jesus, giving you, as you accept it, giving you peace with God. Such a a rich treasure is that peace with God that last week we realized that even in suffering, even in suffering, 
uh, we can see our life as something to rejoice in and to be good, knowing the riches of salvation, the peace of God. Uh, probably was too heavy for the kids this morning uh, talking about Stephen being stoned. I, did, I stopped. You know, have any of you ever heard me talk about this? It's much worse than I described. There's probably much bigger rocks that Stephen was crowned with, and I could have went into detail of what it probably looked like that day. But I want to know. I want you to know this: as I look at our little ones, they will need to be prepared for rougher days. And the worth of the gospel is, no matter what the days look like, he's still worth it. He's still worth it. Um, and so we dig into the passage this morning. We, uh, last week, we finished up with the love of God, and that's where we'll pick up. And I, this morning, as we look at the, the, the gospel, the, the worth of God, the, his love that's so different, I, I want you to know that it's, it's necessary. It's necessary. Because of the predicament that we've already learned about uh, of our own soul, it's necessary that he has this different kind of love for us. We need it. Uh, and it's uh, more amazing than we can imagine. And so Paul, as he struggles with words, even under the inspiration of God, uh, we look at this and we struggle to comprehend how great it is God's love for us. And so we start this morning with the reality of us and God. Where are you with God? Where are you with God? In verse six, it says, well, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, One of the worst things that we uh, can say about each other is you're weak, you're weak. You can't do it. I remember one of my kids, uh, you know, would go to elementary school and they'd play handball They'd play handball. I won't tell you which kid this is, but I, he's on staff here at Bear Valley Church. Uh, but um, play handball, and uh, he, he would talk about, he's, he's not here to listen, so uh, um, maybe I won't say this second service, but um, he would go to school, and uh, he'd play handball, because that was a big deal at the school that we went to, handball, and I say, are you pretty good, son? He says, oh, I'm real good, real good. I said, can anybody beat you? And he says, well, yeah, you know, Johnny beats me. Johnny beats me. And I I said, he says, but I'm not trying my hardest. I'm not trying my hardest. And uh, he, he articulated something that I think all of us know, that we always in potential say, oh, I could do everything. I could do everything if I really wanted to. I really wanted to. And if someone says you're weak, you say, well, I'm just kind of hanging back. I can do anything I put my mind to. I can accomplish. I can uh, climb any mountain. I can do anything. I, I can accomplish any task. And I can get the degree. I can get the job. I can make the money. I can uh, accomplish whatever I put my mind to. And then you read the scriptures. And it says... For while we were still weak, while we were still weak. You know, it's funny, maybe you can accomplish tasks. Uh, Some of you can do amazing things. You can program computers. Others of you can just turn them on. Uh, 
Some of you can, uh, you know, figure out how a, a plane could fly in the air or send one, you know, into orbit. Some of you understand math and others of you can build homes and accomplish things. And some of you have a knack for making things beautiful. And when you put your mind to it, uh, you can accomplish those things. But let me ask you, let me ask you, can you make yourself right with God? Can you, are you strong enough? And when you put your mind to it, when you pull yourself up and you give all your energy and all your time and all your thoughts, when, when, when you do that, can you make yourself right with God? And you say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I, I'll be good enough for God. I'll be good enough for God. And I want to say, maybe in your own estimation, but read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. I've been pointing back to this already this morning, but I, it's really necessary. In chapter three, it says there's none righteous. No, not one. He goes on to say there's uh, no one who does good, not even one. That's what it says. No one's righteous, no one's good. And, and to, who does that include? That includes me and you. It includes us from when we're very young to when we're very old. It describes in Romans 5 that we were weak. We were incapable of doing, uh, making ourselves right with God. And, and immediately, some of you are arguing in your mind. He says, well, I, I didn't claim that I was as good as God, but the, the idea that I'm better than the people around me, you know, that's all I'm saying. I want to say that if that's all you're saying, you've uh, associated yourself, you've, you've connected yourself with sinners, not with a holy God. You've compared yourselves to other sinners, and you're a differing version of sin, but you're not righteous like God. And so we see the reality is that we are weak, incapable of making ourselves right with God. And at that time... It says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And people connect that idea of right time and right time in history. There's other passages that talk about this. But I I want you to get this picture that God had a, a plan or a schedule or his own watch, if you will, And he knew in history and time when Jesus should come. And he knew that in man's weakness, man's weakness, Christ had to come to die, to save. And he died for the ungodly. I want you to get that. Further verses are going to tell us, and previous verses already told us, that this idea of being ungodly is the idea of being against God or unlike him. And in that, we are enemies of God. Enemies of God. And you say, oh, I don't feel like an enemy. I don't feel like an enemy of God. I want to tell you, your feelings don't matter much here. It's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, Have you ever gone to the doctor and they told you that there's something going on in you, that you're sick? And you go, I don't feel sick. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And so as you look at this, you see the reality of us and God is that we are weak, incapable of making ourselves right with God. And Christ died for the ungodly, which is me. 
which is you. That's the reality. And that's the reality of everybody. You know, whether people believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. This is the reality of life, that man and women are sinful against God, not like him. And it was that situation that Christ died for the ungodly. We're going to see in the next verses an expansion of that. We move on in verse 7 to a different kind of love. And I want to say a different kind of love. And I just want to say it again and again. When you think of the love of God, uh, it doesn't matter what you compare it to. A mother's love for her baby, that's said over and over again, is nothing, is nothing compared to the love of God for sinful man. Nothing. you, You look at romantic stories, and even there's some correlation to that. You look in the Old Testament, the book of Song of Solomon, and just how beautiful love is between a man and a woman. It is nothing compared to the love of God for sinful man. As we look at this, as we understand this, we will see a different kind of love. Verse seven says this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. What dawned on me uh, this week as I was studying, and I've, I've preached this passage over and over again, especially in youth ministry, that uh, this idea of a righteous person, this, this idea of someone who's righteous, and having studied the previous four chapters, I, I realized that, that righteousness has come up over and over again. And the idea of righteousness in the first chapters is that uh, man is not righteous, Righteousness is required, and he points to this, and he says, it's almost as if he's saying, hypothetically, hypothetically, if you could find a righteous person, if you could find one, there's none here today, but maybe there's someone out there. Maybe there's a a single righteous person, and righteous not in... uh, uh, some of the things that he does, but in all of the things that they do. Maybe you could find that person, but if you could find that person, one would scarcely die for them. It's not something that we want to do. Why? Because the gift of life or the gift of your life to death is something uh, that if you do the math, you go this thing, you go, well, if it's my life for their life, then I'm dead afterwards. And I wouldn't give up my life for them, even though they're righteous, hypothetically speaking, right? And so as you look one to another, you go, well, they're not righteous. In fact, we look at different people today and we say, I'd never die for them. They deserve death. You you think of different people that you know, maybe even family members who have lived wicked lives and, and done harm to you, and you'd say, they deserve what they get, but he's not talking about those who are wicked people. He's saying righteous people. One would scarcely die. And then he goes on to say, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And these are different words. A good person in chapter three is different than the good person here. But the good person here is the idea of someone whose uh, relationship or their person is of value, meaning that people like to be around them. There's a benefit. You feel loved when you're around them. They're a good person. They're kind. Their life somehow has a benefit in your eyes. And it says, 
Though perhaps, not, not confidently so, but perhaps someone might dare to die for a good person. Someone that they deem as a good person. They're kind, they're, they're merciful, they're a blessing to be around. Maybe, maybe you could find someone. And then it says, forget about all that. Forget about the righteous person. Forget about the good person. Verse eight says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Say it again, right? Say it again. Uh, in, in the first verse we looked at, verse six, it says, Christ died for the ungodly. Now it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you can picture this in war, and I, I really believe the picture here is of war. It, it, it's a personal war. It's a one-on-one war. It's, it's me against God. It's the idea that uh, if, if we had tanks, our tanks are pointed at each other. That God has his desire and I have my desire. I, I know that most of you feel like when you're doing your own thing, it's really none of God's business. And it's not against him personally. It's just you're doing what you want to do. And that should be okay. Why does God have to mess with my life? I want to tell you, That God is a jealous God, he will not share his creation with anyone, and that he deserves, and I would even say demands, your worship as his creation, that you would come to him and that you would worship him. And if you don't, you're against him. And there's active war going on there, which makes it all the more amazing in verse 8 that God shows his love for that, that person, those people that he is in active war with, and he sent his son Christ to die for us. This is a different kind of love. I, I, I want to tell you, a mom's love is tender. A father's love is, is grand for his kids. But I, I want to tell you, it's far greater, the love of God on sinful creation. It's far greater. Because the father sent his son to describe and display his love for us. I I always think this is important to remember. And you can equate this quickly with John 3.16. But in this passage, God shows, he, he displays his love. He displays his love. How does the father display his love for sinful man? He sends his son, not just to be an example, teacher, leader, someone to follow, but he sends his son to die, to give his life for sinful man. That's a different kind of love. That's a different kind of love. Which brings us to verse nine, and I just would title this The Reason We Sing. The reason we sing. And so much of singing, you know, we we sing different themes, uh, the songs that we sing. But one of the grand themes of what we sing is how great is our God, right? How great is our God for the things that he has done? How how great is he, his love for us? How great is his uh, sacrifice? How great is his forgiveness? And and it's displaying and talking about the, the greatness of the love of God. Why? Why is it the reason we sing? Well, um, compounding a bit, it, it, verse nine says this, since therefore 
we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And then in verse 11, it says this, more than that, we rejoice, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have now received reconciliation. I wanna stop and catch a few words here. And Romans has been great for us to learn some words. Righteousness, being right with God. Justified, having not been right with God, being made right with God. He uses this word in this passage, in these verses we're looking at. He says, justified by blood, by the blood of Jesus. And, and this is reminding us, how did, uh, what did Christ's death, his death, his blood spilled, what did that have to do with me? Well, I needed to be made right with God. I, I needed something outside of myself to do that which I was too weak to do. I couldn't be justified in and of myself. So it tells us in chapter 5, verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. It's pictured here this morning as we uh, share in a time of communion. His blood is that which justifies us, which makes us right when we have been made wrong by our own sins. Justified by his blood. And, And... there's a layering here, and I, I don't mean to, I just always think about this trite and crazy thing. But wait, there's more, right? I watched a few too many infomercials as a kid, right? The Ginsu knives, the whole deal. Um, there's more. And, and, and this is how we study the scripture. I, I want to tell you that, that to plumb the depths of God's love for you uh, is impossible, is impossible, it's to understand how much he loves you and to, to those depths, it's, it's far greater than you can imagine. And part of that is because you're far more sinful than you can imagine. Um, and as we know this, uh, we rejoice. But he says we're justified by blood. We're made righteous when we're unrighteous. But there's more, but there's more. Well, what is it? Verse nine. Justified by his blood, and much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He brings in a, a, another concept. He's, he's talked about this earlier in chapter 1, the wrath of God. And I, I want you to get this because I think it, it really is important in showing impact of this great salvation that we receive, the, the treasure that we have. God has an anger It's not an anger problem. Some of you have an anger problem, right? Please no pointing, especially at your wife. Um, But this idea of God has an anger, he has anger, he he has righteous anger, he has appropriate anger. And as you look at the scripture, um, you need to know this, that uh, some of us wonder, well, if God's so angry about it, why doesn't he stop me? You know, if God would really unleash his wrath, um, there would be people dropping dead in their tracks, right? Some of us, while we're singing, 
right? Uh, some of us out in the parking lot, and we would, you know, the, the, you know, on the way to church, and the way, if he really displayed his wrath towards every single sin, we, we would be dropping in the midst of life, right? And be a visible thing. It'd be great for evangelism. You know why they did that right there? You know, you know why that happened? Um, but, but, but know this, know this. The scripture talks about God holding back, holding back. And as you know, uh, we went through in the book of Daniel. You'll see in the book of Revelation, there's other points in time where it talks about his wrath that is coming. God's anger will be poured out, will be poured out. And, and it's not just on the earth. It's not like on the trees and like, that's not the, the unique display of that. It's on mankind. As you look at this, uh, this is the part where we're rejoicing. This is the reason we sing. And you're saying, that didn't sound like the reason we sing. The reason we sing, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, and much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Christ saves us from that day in the future of his wrath poured out on sinful man. As we look to the scripture and as, as we read about the wrath that is to come, those days and day that comes in the future where he's gonna pour out his wrath, we go, I'm not scared. It's not because I'm a courageous man. It's not because of what I have done. It's not because of what I've accomplished. It's because I've been justified by his blood I've been made right, and that he will keep me right. He will keep me right till that day that I will truly experience all the salvation that I've been saved for. Hard for me to even put into words as I describe this. Saved by him from the wrath of God. He goes on to describe in verse 10, he says, for, for if while we were enemies, there's that word enemies, goes back to that war, we are in conflict with God. Enemies, we were reconciled, we were made right to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. One commentator says it like this. He says, if, dying, if the dying Savior can reconcile us to God, Surely the living Savior can keep us reconciled. I I, want to tell you, for those of you who believe you can lose your salvation, I want to tell you that you would lose your salvation. You would. If on the day you came to faith that you had to be sinless from there on out, you'd be dead, dead in your sins again and again and again. But because of what Christ did in reconciling us to himself, he promises by his life that he will bring us that same reconciliation on the day of wrath, that we will still be right with him based on what Jesus has done. I want to tell you, this is all pointing to the, the, the worth of Christ and the, the gift of the Father in the Son and the work that Christ did that we could not do. And so this brings us to joyful rejoicing and boasting. 
I say boasting because this word, um, in some of your Bibles, it says exult, right? And, and it's this idea of loud rejoicing. It, it, it's this idea, you're so excited, you can't stop talking about it. You can't, you burst out and even burst out in, in song. And, and But what we're joyful about, what we're rejoicing about is that we have something great. We have something great, and that can also be used as boasting, but it's different when you're boasting about something that you have. I'm weak, and I would have always been weak. I, would have, I was lost, and I, I would have always been lost, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on, our, on my behalf, that God loved me so much that he sent his son, that now I'm, I'm free. I'm at peace with God. I've been justified. I've been reconciled. As we look at this, uh, these last words, and uh, he says, now reconciled. Reconciled is a word that, uh, it's a word that, uh, it's the idea of making peace after there was war. Now, let me ask you a question. Maybe you've studied history. How do wars end? How do wars end? Well, there's usually a peace treaty. I don't remember much from school at all. Um, but I, I had to do a report on the Treaty of Versailles. Um, and if you look at the treaty, the, I don't remember everything about the details. I don't remember much. But um, I just remember this one thing, that uh, the United States, basically, leader, um, stuck it to the Germans, <laughs> in the Treaty of Versailles. They said, basically, we're gonna take all your junk, all your stuff of value. And you look it up, it's pretty interesting. Like the, uh, and, and why, why could they say that? Because Germany lost the war. And, and when, when countries make peace treaties, um, they don't hug it out in the middle. Do you know that? They just decide to stop fighting. As I thought about this particular idea that we've been reconciled, that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not just that we laid down, uh, we climbed out of the tank or we laid down our weapons. It's not just that. It's not even that we paid, you know, I paid you back and did a lot of stuff. There's reparations. It's not that. But this word reconciled is so much more beautiful. It's making peace after a war, but as you understand, and we're gonna understand more, uh, God loved us so much that he sent his son. That was the cost of peace. And, And as he made peace with us after we've been at war, he didn't just make peace with us in a sense of, okay, we won't be fighting anymore. You go to your corner and I'll hate you for the, quietly, passively hate you for the rest of my life and I'll do the same. We'll still remain enemies though we're not fighting anymore. The picture here is this, that reconciliation with God goes like this and Christ did it all for us, that he gave us peace, he, he made peace, the, the, the weaponry is laid down but then he embraces us, he loves us, he loves us, he brings us in. And that, that love is the love we respond to in love of God. Why do we love God? He first loved us. He took care of everything that we needed. Three things. 
First one is this. You needed to be justified. You needed to be justified. You were were not righteous, and you needed to be righteous. You couldn't be righteous, so you were justified. How did that come? You were justified by the blood of Jesus. It was costly. Second thing is this. You needed to be reconciled. You needed to be reconciled. You needed to be justified, but even after that, you needed to be reconciled. This idea that we are no longer enemies of God, though we were enemies, though we were weak, we're no longer enemies, but we are beloved. We are the loved ones of God. That he didn't just quit the war, but he drew us in, in love, that we might be his. And lastly, this is the one that was done by the Father in the Son, justified, reconciled. It's kind of our response. What do we need to do? You need to, I need to rejoice. We need to rejoice. Um, I don't want it to be focused on us, but um, why, why should you rejoice? I'm so rich. I'm so rich. I have the riches of heaven. I, I, I used to be dead in my sins. I used to be lost and weak. I used to be an enemy of God. But why do I need to rejoice? Because now I have the riches of relationship with the God of the universe. All by his doing. All by his doing. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing and the testimony and now the picture of the gospel. God, uh, do your work in us now, uh, even as we worship you and as we consider the cross, uh, the payment, uh, your body, uh, your son's body and blood spilled on our behalf. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.